This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. of the health and wellness nutrition. If you don't have that right mindset and you don't have a goal that you're aspiring to and you don't have things lined up to help get you there, then it's almost impossible to get there. Every year, New Year's for the first two weeks, three weeks, month, people are doing whatever they can to catch up on 20 years of failed aspirations or missed aspirations and they're trying to cram it all in and then they fail because it's too much. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about Mental Illness Awareness Week. We'll discuss new trends in healthy food. We'll hear about the healthy care of your eyes. And lastly, we'll find out how to achieve goals like a successful person. But first, a little bit of business. The Zoomer Show, Canada's largest expo for living well, is back at the Intercare Centre in Toronto on October 26th and 27th. There's hundreds of exhibitors, the latest trends in health, fitness, food, and travel. And there's live music, too. Plus, there's an expert panel on medical cannabis hosted by me, Jamie Busson, and a special appearance by hockey legend Wendell Clark. The Zoomer Show, presented by Chip Reverse Mortgage. You can visit zoomershow.ca and enter promo code TONIC to get tickets for only $10. That's zoomershow.ca, promo code T-O-N-I-C. The Zoomer Show. Live longer, live better. For those who don't know, this past week was Mental Health Awareness Week. My next guest, Onika Dainty, was selected by the Canadian Alliance on Mental Health and Mental Illness to be one of five faces of mental illness. Onika has spent a total of one year of her life in psychiatric institutions due to psychotic episodes brought on by Bipolar Affective Disorder 1. Growing up in a household that didn't discuss mental health, it took Onika years to seek out the right treatment. Today, she hosts a podcast, Dainty Dish, that discusses mental health issues and aims to end the stigma surrounding mental illness. Welcome to The Tonic. Hi, how are you? I am doing okay fine today. That's good. But we're here to discuss people who may not be doing okay and may have things going on that nobody can see and are still serious and require attention. And that is, of course, mental illness. Absolutely. You actually suffer from mental illness, right? I do. I am bipolar. I have bipolar affective disorder one. And just so people know the difference between one and two, the mania, which is the psychotic uh, episode, is a bit more severe with bipolar one. We don't have as many uh, major depressive episodes as bipolar two. And bipolar two, they go through something called hypomania, which is a lesser form of mania. But I'm, I call it the sexy bipolar because a lot, a lot <laughs> happens when you're manic. You, you feel every it seems like mental health disorder. Uh, there is OCD, ADHD, schizophrenia, like you're experiencing hallucinations, delusions of grandeur, hypersexuality, and that's always fun. Um, <laughs> hypersexuality, hyperspending, like it's, it's incredible. And I was diagnosed when I was 24 years old. Before that, I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety at 16. Uh, I'd gone through a lot of things uh, as, a, as a small child and a teenager. Do you think that you uh, had 
the bipolar disorder before you were 24? Yes, I think I did. It's a chemical imbalance in your brain at the end of the day. And it's something, it's stressors that activated that chemical imbalance. So for me, it was the stress of life at any given moment, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. And it was also drug use. Um, I was heavy, uh, heavily smoking marijuana uh, from the age of 21. And um, that bought on the psychosis. So originally they thought it was drug induced uh, psychosis, but so how, how, how much you're smoking to bring on the psychosis? You have to smoke a fair um, bit. Don't I you? was, I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was smoking maybe like 10, 15 joints a day. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We have a lot of cannabis sponsors on the show on the medical side, but now we have to start expanding the discussion to the recreational side and the narrative has been, you know, it's safe. It's fine. It's okay. But we still have to be careful with cannabis at the end of the day, and it isn't for everybody. And also, like when you're younger, your brain's still developing and it can yeah. cause all kinds of damage. Yeah, and and it did. But prior to even getting involved in drugs, I think what drugs did for me in that moment was stop the pain that I was going through from things that had happened in my youth, um, being molested at the age of six um, oh, to the age of nine. Yeah, my father, he's an alcoholic and he one of his drinking associates uh, molested me uh, for three years until we ended up moving out of town um, and lost touch with him. And at the age of 14, I was gang raped in my high school. Um, it was very, it was just a very trying time. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. You know, my mother is extremely religious. So she's just like, let's pray the cray away. But I, I went to her and I said at the age of 16 that I, I need help. And she goes, well, what do you need a, a psychiatrist for? And I'm like, I, I don't want to talk about it with you, but I, I, I think I need to go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And she took me to one and it was one of those things where I just broke down. I was like, this is what's going on with me. Um, this is what I've experienced. And then I was diagnosed with a depression and general anxiety disorder. That's a hard step to take, huh? To acknowledge you need that help and that the help isn't there for you amongst friends and family. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember where it came from. Like I actually found the like a couple, I think it was a couple months ago, my mom was cleaning and she found the actual um, first assessment of my mental health. Like I didn't know I was in the mental health like arena at that point at 16 and she found this like this letter from the doctor talking about my nervousness going off to Carleton because I was going to be going to Carleton that fall um, after uh, my OAC year and my nervousness about leaving her with my father because of his drinking and you know and then the diagnosis of itself was just it's just right there and that was my first foray into mental health. It must be a hard thing even to acknowledge that there's a mental health issue like like were you receptive to the idea that there may have been an underlying mental health issue? I don't think I understood what mental health was. And I think this is a lot of people's problems. Um, they don't know that sometimes sometimes you're sad, but sometimes you're so sad you can't get out of bed, you can't eat, you can't shower, you have no motivation. Like there's a difference between being sad, you know, because your puppy died and and being so depressed, like you can't you could barely move. And that's where I was. Like even during university, I every I have seasonal affective disorder as well. And every season, every every winter, like right after things 
Thanksgiving, I, my grades would dip and I would just be in this low and I'd be in bed all the time. My friends would have to bring me food from the cafeteria. Like I was just in this low. And my mom recommended and the school nurse and doctor recommended me going to see someone. And I did briefly, but I was like, I don't want to hear what this guy has to say. I don't want to read the material he's giving me. I don't want to take these pills. They make me feel funny and out of it. Like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. Like, I can do this on my own. And that's the problem when you think you're you're all alone and you, you have to do it on your own. Is that the hardest part of having these health issues? Yeah, because when I'm locked away in a hospital, which I have been seven times, I've been hospitalized seven times over uh, manic episodes. I'm in there alone. I'm in there by myself. My mom is not there. My daddy's not there. Like my family's not there. My friends aren't there. They might visit, you know, for like an hour, but I'm going through that situation by myself. So I'm the one that's got to get myself out of it. You know, self-advocacy is a really big thing for me. Had I not advocated for myself three years ago when I had my last manic episode, because I'm about three going on to four years in recovery, I would have been homeless because I lost where I was living. I had a serious episode and I destroyed my apartment. I lost my space where I was living. I was in Toronto, no family because my family lives in the Durham region, you know, no real friends. And I had to do what I had to do while I was in the hospital to make sure I got a space to live in. Wow. Um, so you're in a different place now. Thankfully. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, so how is it like what helped you get over the hump? How were you able to deal with, with what you're dealing with? I think it was number one, being hospitalized the seventh time and realizing seventh time is the charm. Seventh time <laughs> is the charm. That's the charm. That's the, that's a sweet spot. Um, I was like, you know what? I can't live like this anymore. I'm, I'm 2.5 clicks away from being homeless. By the grace of God, I got an apartment, you know, and I have to make the best of this. And one of the big things was my FACT team, which is a flexible, assertive community treatment team. Now you get this when you're severely, and this is the disappointing part about the medical system. You have to be in severe, severe like psychosis or, you know, have like severe schizophrenia, be non-compliant with your meds for years and years. Like there's a lot of like um, hoops you have to jump through to get a FACT team. And I, I fortunately um, was eligible for one. And I, it comes with a social worker, a psychiatrist, a cognitive behavioral therapist, nurses, PSWs, anything I can need. It's like a team of like 25 people. And my social worker said to me when I was in the hospital, he said, you, you're going to be in charge of your own treatment. Like before it was like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. He's like, no, you're going to tell us what you need. And that's how we're going to work. You know, this situation you're going to. But how did you know what you need? I, I mean, how, was, how do you know that? It was a process because those first that first year in my new apartment, I didn't unpack for like eight months. I lived in boxes. I was just like because once the mania comes down, it's a crash to depression. So I was depressed for the first like six months. I didn't want to go see, do, see my therapist. I didn't want to. But eventually I feel like I, I just. A lot of it was me. I'm not going to lie to you. It was me. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. You know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just. Like, can you point to a tipping point? Um, I would say it would have had to been uh, 2017 spring. Mm -hmm. And I would say that because that's when my depression was like lifted from me. Because it usually happens in the springtime. My my uh, disorder is like almost seasonal. Hmm. So springtime, I become a little manic. Right. Right. I renewal. Become a, more renewal, energy. Yeah. More energy. I become a little bit manic. And so I start making lists and like 
appointments and getting stuff done. And I warned my my social worker. I said to him when we first met, I said, you'll see a different me in, in six months. It won't be the same person that you're seeing now that's unmotivated and doesn't want to get out of bed and doesn't want to see you. Or I said, wait till spring. You'll see what happens. And spring came and as so said, so done. I became productive and active. I, I started making, taking care of my medical treatment, going to see my psychologist, uh, doing cognitive behavioral therapy, making sure I get, got the homework done, seeing my social worker once a week. Like it just, I jumped right into it because I knew I couldn't, I couldn't keep living the way I was living. It wasn't because it wasn't living. Yeah. It was existing. It's It's hard. I've made life changes, not to the extent that you, you've had to, right? But I, I think uh, there are certain choices that we make and then there's certain decisions that are thrust upon us because really there's no other choice. And, yeah. and it sounds like you got to the point where there was really no other choice, right? Yeah. Like, like you, had to, you had to figure out a way to work through it. And it's, yeah. it, it's good that you did and it's good that you were able to get the resources to help you do it. And staying on my meds was key too. Like making sure, even when I was depressed, I made sure I stayed on my meds because without my medication, like mania is literally just around the corner. Um, I made sure that I got into employment that was not stressful because I am on disability as well, but I, I'm a, I'm the type of person like I'm, I need to be productive. Yeah. I like, think, I think everybody, I think everybody's better off when they're doing something and yeah. feeling, and feeling, feeling as part of it. And part of what you're doing is you are uh, one of the faces of the mental illness campaign, right? Yes, I am. So explain about that. So this is an annual campaign. Um, it's the 17th year they're doing it at CAMI, which is the Canadian Alliance for Mental Illness and Mental Health. Um, it's sponsored by Bell Let's Talk. And it's five faces across the nation. You're the face of the of the six, right? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, th- the four faces across five. I'm the fifth. I'm the face of the six. Yeah, <laughs> I just got that. Right. I'm the face of the six. So is Donovan and Jill, Anita. Jill's from BC. Anita is from Ottawa. And uh, Melissa is from Quebec. Uh, and uh, hi, guys, if you're listening. And um, yeah, we just tell our stories in hopes for, of inciting change and raising awareness for mental illness and showing that you can triumph over your adversity. You know, you can persevere and get through anything. Um, some of the stories of these people, like it's un- it's just unbelievable the things that they've gone through uh, and what they've survived. And we're all, we're, that's all we are. We're all survivors and thrivers. You know, we're, we're not just sitting around letting life happen to us. We're happening to life. And that's like just mainly, you know, what the Faces campaign is about, making sure people understand that mental illness, like we're people too. You know, we go through, it, it could easily be anybody. It could be you. It could be me. It could be anybody. So, so, you know, knowing that we're speaking potentially to people who are struggling, what's your best advice for them? My best advice is keep on pushing. Don't, don't give up. There's sunshine after the rain. Like this is, this too shall pass. I know these are a lot of platitudes that I'm giving you right now, but they're, they're there for a reason. Like find connect that's one of the main um the main themes of the faces campaign this year is connectivity and connecting with your resources uh your support systems your friends your family even nature something as simple as nature is staying connected and make sure you have that connectivity in your life that that's going to keep you grounded and keep you going you get low you get so low that you think that you can't you know get back up again but anything is possible I'm I'm living proof of it. Like anything is possible as long as you you just don't give up. And what would you tell the friends and family members of people who may be struggling with mental illness? Same thing. Um 
you might not understand it, but educate yourself. Like it's your responsibility as a family member or a friend. If you love this person and this person's in your life and you want them to remain in your life, educate yourself about what they're going through. Show some empathy. You know, don't just disappear uh, when the going gets tough. I've experienced that myself um, when people just, you know, disappear. And at the end of the day, you have to be there for your friends and your family. And I think education is, is key. What are you doing now to sort of stay on the right course? What, what's your day like? And, and what, are, <laughs> what, are, what, are the things that, what are the things that you find that help you sort of survive? Oh, uh, my writing. Uh, I'm actually in the court, middle of uh, getting my book edited. Um, I'm, I've written a book about my experiences That's called great. Side Effects May Vary, My Journey Through Madness. Hopefully that comes out next year. My podcast, the Dainty Dish podcast, definitely um, helps. I've started boxing recently yeah. uh, for my exercise. Um, and I stay connected with my God uh, through devotion in the mornings with my mom. What more do you think we can do as a society to help people who are struggling with mental illness? Don't just step over them like they're nothing. Like don't show some kindness. Show some empathy, some kindness and some understanding. This could be you. This could be someone you know. This could be a friend. This could be a family member going through mental health concerns and mental health illnesses. You, You need to be there for them and just don't step over them like they're nothing because they are people too and they need your love and support as well. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. And what is, spell out the name of your podcast for people who want to read it. Okay, that's D-A-I-N-T-Y-D-Y-S-H dot com. If you want to just go to head over to the website, that's daintydish.com. D-A-I-N-T-Y-D-Y-S-H. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss new trends in healthy foods on The Tonic. It's new. It's powerful. It's the next generation. It's Purica Recovery 3.0, a new formulation for inflammation relief and healing that brings together the strength of the original Purica Recovery with the rapid relief of Purica Curcumin 30% BDMC. It's a powerful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and immunity optimizer all in one. It works by repairing the damage and relieving the stress that's at the root cause of pain. It's Purica Recovery 3.0, and it's coming soon from Purica. For more information, visit Purica.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. She's a knowledgeable and entertaining writer. And uh, we brought her in here today 
to talk about something she hasn't written about, mm-hmm. and that is the latest food trends, right? Yes, we're going to talk about the new trends in food right now, and it's pretty neat. So I'll say that the the keto train is still chugging along at full speed, right? right. We know this, and because of this low carb trend, we're seeing lots of new products pop up. Yep. So we're seeing a lot of sugar free sweetened foods, and for this time of year. You know, very seasonal to have the pumpkin spice latte situation going on. Yeah. So we're seeing pumpkin spice creamers, right, that contain powdered MCT, for example. What's MCT? Medium chain triglycerides, okay. right? So coming from coconut oil in Got powdered it. form. We're also seeing lots of grain replacements. So for those rice and pasta lovers, there's another option now if you can't have grains or if you're trying to do the low carb thing, right? Right. So it's pretty exciting right now in food because people are getting really creative. Yeah. With ingredients. You know, you see it. I Did you go to CHFA this year? I didn't go this year, okay, sadly. So, so I go. So that's the Canadian Health Food Association trade show, which is the biggest show in the country. And it literally takes the entire south building of the convention center. And you can see food trends. You yes. know, you, you can see w- what's going to be coming out because a lot of these products haven't hit the shelves yet. So in past years, you know, it was stuff like sauerkraut and all the fermented foods. Everything that, fermented. Everything yes. fermented was hot for the last couple of years. And before that, it was the chaga mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to see where the trends are going. But I agree with you. Keto was king at CHFA this year. For sure. And I'm sure you probably saw a lot of ketone products too, right? Yeah. Yeah, lots of ketone protein powders. And, you know, we have sponsors on the show who produce that stuff. And there's a lot of people that are very interested in it and are yeah. able to live that lifestyle. Yeah. I'm not one of them. Likewise, can't also do it, but I appreciate it. I I, I understand it. It is working for some people. Mm -hmm. What else is out there? Yeah. So, well, I'd I'd like to start off by talking about the hot veggie right now. And, you know, we know that a lot of these packaged products can seem super artificial. But the nice thing is that we have a vegetable that's super hot right now. So it's getting steamed. It's getting chopped. It's getting blended all over the place. Do you know which one I'm talking about? We're talking about cauliflower. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And you know, we've almost jumped the shark with cauliflower when certain pizza fast food places are touting (laughs) their crusts, right? So like that's pretty much near the end of of the ride when a certain pizza pizza (laughs) place has cauliflower crust. You know, it's not the end of times, but cauliflower is everywhere. And I I remember the debate. I don't know if you remember last year, the the price of cauliflower shot up by like 200% and everybody lost their minds. Well, that and celery, right? Yeah. The celery juice was also quite big. I think it still is. Yeah. Um, But basically, the neat thing about cauliflower is that you can find it pre-riced now. So let's say for whatever reason, you don't have a food processor or a blender. If you don't have those, what are you doing, right? But if you don't, you can buy these things pre-made and it makes your life so much easier. Again, if you don't have these appliances, but you can easily take pre-riced cauliflower out of the freezer, make yourself a nice little risotto style dish. Yeah. I know you're shaking your head. I suppose but- <laughs> you could, because you, know you know what it is? I actually like cauliflower. I do, right. but I only eat it one way. And that is I roast it. So it gets a little caramelized, you yes. get a little, some of the sugars out, yes. and then I'm happy. Yeah, the but, best way. But when I it's, enjoy that But too. when it's pretending to be pizza crust, I don't know. Some, yeah, but here's the thing. Some people just can't have for regular them, pizza crust, right? I get and it. For them, it's their savior. Okay, you know? I get it. Um, so that's one way to have it. Another way I've noticed cauliflower is popping up. It's really bizarre to me, <laughs> but I like it. It's cauliflower oatmeal. That's sacrilege. Right. <laughs> 
I'm not having I'm not having cauliflower for breakfast. I draw the line. That's the line in the sand. I, I shan't cross it. It's dehydrated. How do you I, know I about that? It doesn't matter. I don't so care. dehydrated cauliflower turned into oatmeal. You yeah. can get it packaged now, um, much like you would find regular oatmeal. Add some hot water. It's I don't know. Flavored. See, I don't understand that because oats Why? oats don't have gluten. So they it, don't. But but so, like, not all oats are gluten free certified. So for I the understand. celiac folks, this is you know this is definitely on their mind constantly. But you could find the oats that are gluten free just as easily as you can find you can. the dehydrated cauliflower <laughs> that is to replace them. So I'm just saying to you, if you like oatmeal, yes, go get your oats for like, sure, for sure. But then we also have another group of people involved here who can't have greens. True. Period. Right. Fair so. I love oats as much as the next person, but uh, let's say you're following an autoimmune paleo diet, right? right? And you just can't have grains, period. You know, this is a nice alternative. Fair enough. And, you know, maybe this will change your mind. The one reason why I really like cauliflower and other cruciferous vegetables, but cauliflower being the the star right now, um, is because it boosts liver detoxifying enzymes, Mm -hmm. right? So if we have a liver that is functioning optimally, then... We're going to have fantastic hormone balancing. Yep. Right? So the liver is responsible for recycling hormones out of the body. And if the liver isn't doing this optimally, then that means that the hormones are going to be staying stagnant. So this is especially important when we're looking at things like estrogen dominance, right? Mm -hmm. So I love cauliflower for this reason. And there's so many other reasons why the liver is important. Um, But I think we should jump into another food trend uh, that's super hot right now. So another one would be the use of cognac root. Have you heard of this? I have not. I know about French cognac, but, yeah. that's, but, but, that's, <laughs> not, uh, but that's not this. Not, not the same and one, I, no. And I like That'll to incorpor- be the day. That'll be the day. <laughs> I enjoy incorporating that cognac into my diet. <laughs> Tell me about this one. Uh, so cognac root is a, a starchy root vegetable. And I'm surprised you actually didn't come across this at the CHFA. I'm sure it was there in some part. I may have. It's a huge show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, Okay, fair enough. But it's generally used a lot um, in Japanese and Chinese medicine and foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can expand by 17 times its size in water, which means that it's great for bulking up um, in the digestive tract. So we like to see this for people who are, we like to use this for people who are having issues with constipation and that sort of thing. Gets things moving out. Okay. Uh, okay? And, it's, and, it's, <laughs> so, and it's spelled K O N J A C. Okay. Yeah. It's also used as a grain replacement. We're seeing it used as rice, Thai rice noodles or Alfredo noodles, spaghetti. Um, and it actually comes packaged in water. So all you have to do is drain it, rinse it, and warm it up in whatever sauce uh, oh. or soup you're using it So it in. doesn't need to be cooked. It's just no, it's reconstituted. Su- yeah, super simple. Super simple. So I like that one as well. And let's say you just want to take it for the digestive benefit of it. You can get it in the capsule form too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another hot food trend are, of course, sugar-free sweeteners. Super popular right now for keto, low-carb, diabetics, anyone who, who basically is trying to avoid sugar, period. But you're not talking about chemical sweeteners. You're talking about natural sweeteners. Natural sweeteners, yes. So not okay. the artificial um, sugar-free sweeteners. So a really popular one right now is monk fruit sweetener. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard a lot about that. Yep. And it comes from the juice of monk fruit, which is a small fruit native to northern China. And it has this compound called magrocides which are very interesting because it's not a sugar alcohol, which is what a lot of these natural sweeteners are consisting of. Right. Magrocides are not absorbed in the intestinal tract, in the upper intestinal tract. So they don't signal insulin at all. Hmm. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. So does the body absorb them at all? No. So it's the flow through. Just out 
in and out, you taste it and it's gone. Okay. Wow. <laughs> but I will say it's somewhat difficult to find monk fruit sweetener on its own. You're, you're seeing it a lot paired with erythritol, which is a sugar alcohol. Okay. Now, the issue I have with this is that erythritol can increase bowel movements. So it can have, for some people, a diarrhea effect if okay. you have too much of it, right? So you do not want to be loading up on, <laughs> your, okay. on your erythritol and monk fruit sweeteners. Okay, Jamie? Fair enough. Don't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> you won't. It'll never happen. <laughs> But basically, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's great for baking. So if you love to bake, you like to make cakes, cookies, all those sorts of things, and you can't have sugar, monk fruit sweetener is a great replacement for that. Right. And so like it's it's like you could also make like joke baked goods from the sound of it, right? It's, it, you know, when you slip X-lax in with the chocolate, it sounds like this is perfect if you want to play a little prank on somebody. Oh, Thanksgiving's coming up and yeah. Christmas, you know, if you have some folks you need to... <laughs> Help out a bit. We'll say help out a bit. Okay. Um, what, what's next? Another one is tapioca syrup. Okay. So tapioca comes from cassava. It's, it's a starch. Right? Yeah, it is a starch. Uh, so cassava looks a lot like a white sweet potato. Yep. Tuberous root vegetable. And it's a fantastic replacement for corn syrup. So let's say you want to make some butter tarts, yep. right? which commonly uses corn syrup. Tapioca syrup could be a replacement for that and also for maple syrup. And and from a glucose base, like is it, it is it slower to be uh, taken in by the the body? Is, yeah, is it a higher glycemic index? Or so lower, well, it's or? it's lower. Um, it's interesting because you also get a dose of fiber from it. Okay. Um, so there's one brand. I'm forgetting the name of it. I apologize. It comes in this tall, slim bottle, um, and it boasts a good amount of fiber. Uh, so that's something to look out for. And finally, just quickly here. Another hot food trend are adaptogenic drink mixes. So did you see a lot of these at the CHFA? Yeah, 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 these are everywhere. Um, so lots of MCT keto creamers. We talked about MCT yeah. earlier. Organica has lots of blue algae powder, matcha, beet latte mixes, yep. and all in the name of reducing cortisol levels. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. And telling us all about these new products. And when you go to the website, which is thetonic.ca, we'll have some product links for you. So if you're trying to find them in the store, you'll be able to. Absolutely. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. I would literally need my glasses to get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't even see the floor. Meet Susan. She's 61, retired from her teaching career, and Susan wants to see it all. I was grateful when my optometrist said, you have cataracts. I asked why she was so excited, and she said, because you have the opportunity to experience a world of color and lose your reading glasses. Susan and her doctor scheduled her cataract surgery and discussed her post-surgery vision goals, leading her to choose Alcon Panoptics trifocal lenses so that she could see everything near, far, and in between. The surgery was no big deal. Deal, and now I can see perfectly. 
perfectly without glasses. I can see every needle on a pine tree, every blade of grass, the smile on my granddaughter's face from across the room. I'm amazed. If you've been diagnosed with cataract, learn about all your lens options before you have surgery. Visit seethefullpicture.ca to learn more. I feel like a whole new person. That's seethefullpicture.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Committed to the field of vision care and eye medicine, my next guest, Dr. Raj Rathi, is head or chief of ophthalmology at North York General Hospital in Toronto. He completed his doctor of medicine at Dalhousie University and his residency program at Queen's University and is current chair of the Eye Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, and the acronym is EPSO, dedicating his time to helping improve healthcare delivery for patients and providers alike. Welcome to The Tonic, doctor. How are you? Very good. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So we've entitled this little section today, Eye Health 101. So we're going to go easy peasy. What are some tips that you would recommend to our listeners to maintain good eye health? Well, as an eye surgeon and someone who's committed to eye health, probably one of the most important things to do is to have regular eye exams to pick up things that maybe you you may not notice. Getting glasses checked, prescriptions checked. That's really important. Getting your eye pressure checked, looking for general health conditions. In addition, it's really important just to do common sense things like eating well, sleeping well, exercise, and believe it or not, taking breaks from prolonged work. Screens, we're all on devices. Taking breaks from television, screens from time to time. Getting outside once in a while, getting some fresh air, giving your eyes a break from uh, all the close work we do. And finally, the last thing is if there is significant change in your your vision, to be aware of them and seek medical attention if uh, at all indicated. So when you say significant changes, what what, what sort of changes would you be referring to? Well, the obvious things that we'd watch for is our, our vision changes, where you can't see clearly, suddenly or gradually compared to what you saw before. That's important. And of course, anytime you have anything sudden, an injury to the eye, something unusual, uh, red eye, pain, discomfort, these things are all things that you know could be signs of concerns that should be looked into. Okay. What are the benefits of making regular visits to your eye care professional? Like, w- Why should we bother doing that? Well, this is actually really important because a lot of us feel well, see well, but we may have grumbling conditions we're not aware of. And a great example is something called glaucoma. Glaucoma, we can't see, we can't feel, but it's high pressure in your eye that can gradually rob you of your eyesight with time. And the, the most unfortunate thing is that once it's advanced, it's irreversible. Uh, the other reason to see your eye professional or eye care professional regularly is we can also screen for conditions that may occur in the future. So we look for age changes in the eye, uh, degenerative conditions, cataracts or cloudy lenses, we can examine your eyes and look for things that are even not even that serious but annoying, like dry eye. It's bothersome to a lot of people. We can diagnose it and treat it. And we can also update and optimize your vision, even if all you need is a good pair of eyeglasses. Sometimes it makes a huge difference to your quality of life to get that crisper, sharper vision, be it for night driving or in dim lighting or when you're reading and concentrating. It just makes life easier. Are you able to diagnose conditions by looking at somebody's eyes that aren't necessarily eye conditions? That's a really good question, and the answer is yes. Believe it or not, we actually diagnose diabetes in the eye. We can see changes, uh, circulation issues, uh, like high blood pressure can be diagnosed by an eye exam. And, you know, in very unusual cases, you may even diagnose something like a a brain tumor or based on the fact that someone's vision is impaired, and we can do testing to identify that. So the eye is a very complex organ, but it's connected to our brain and the circulation of the rest of our body. So clearly, there are things that we can find in the eye that can be quite significant 
for general health even. Okay, so I'm of a certain age, and that is 50 plus, where there are, there are some conditions that can occur, right? So, so what, are, what are some of those that maybe somebody my age should be thinking about? Well, the most common and probably the least concerning from a medical perspective is you can't see up close anymore yep. after the age of 40. That's called presbyopia. And most people, it comes on relatively suddenly in our 40s, and we start needing reading glasses. Well, fortunately, there are treatments for that, and the best treatment being, uh, easiest being reading glasses, but there are other treatments as well. Beyond that, there are other conditions that even glasses may not be as, as significant for, such as a cataract. Cataract is a lens in your eye that you've had your whole life that begins to get cloudy, and then even glasses don't clear up your vision. So that's a good time to see an eye care professional because we can do excellent surgery to treat that. Would I know if I had cataracts? Would that be obvious to me, or would I need to get it diagnosed by, by going to see a doctor? So the obvious thing to you would be changes in your vision. Vision is right. just not clear anymore. Changing glasses hasn't helped that much. That's where you know something's off. And, and any eye care professional will do a thorough exam and check you for cataracts and say, hey, is this visually significant? Or can we just give you glasses to kind of make things better for the time being? That's the, the, the way to manage it in any case. And if it's significant and glasses aren't helping, then it's time for surgery. And we do great surgery with great results. Okay, so that's cataracts, but some of these conditions that you were talking about, like it doesn't necessarily require surgery, right? There are other forms no, of treatment? No, in fact, quite, quite the contrary. Glasses, uh, sometimes dry eyes can be managed with hot compresses, uh, different medications and treatments. Uh, and even if you look at uh, things like glaucoma, which is high pressure in the eye, that can be managed with simply eye drops or observation. And there's also laser treatment for some of these conditions. So we've got a wide variety of eye conditions that have a wide variety of treatments most of which aren't, uh, in a sense, very difficult for the patient. There's a lot of great technology that has uh, given us a lot of advances that make it actually even easier than ever to treat many eye conditions. So I, I think a moment ago you were discussing the possibility of surgery as a treatment for cataracts if, if, if they're severe. But Correct. a lot of people are... That, that's scary for a lot of people to think, you know, that there's going to be surgery to their eyes. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that have misconceptions about what that entails. You're absolutely right. In fact, if you look at people's biggest health fears, number one is usually cancer, but what's not known to most people is the second most feared health condition is loss of eyesight. Oh, it's a very that. big anxiety for patients, and it's a very big concern. And obviously, our eyes are very sensitive. Even if you know, we, we, anything comes near us, we blink, something gets in our eye, it hurts. So we're all very, uh, eye professionals are very aware of the fact that eyes are a very sensitive issue for patients. And luckily, we've had huge advances in technologies in the last couple of decades to allow safe, effective, relatively painless, relatively quick recovery from surgery, especially things like cataract surgery and laser vision correction, to allow patients to get improved vision with minimal trauma, minimal stress. And like any surgery, it's supposed to be scary. It's expected. People are going to be nervous. But we do a great job. We treat people well, and people generally do extremely well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously I know people who've had uh, tremendous success uh, having eye surgery. They're, 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 you know, you also hear sort of apocryphal stories, you know, I, I have night vision now, or I see sort of halos at night, sure. or, you know, I, I had uh, corrective surgery for my eyes, and I got an eye infection immediately after, and I had to go through a round of antibiotics. Is that, is that common, or...? It's, a, it's an interesting problem because it's, there's a game called Broken Telephone where you tell yeah. someone something and they tell someone, and by the time you hear the story, you don't actually know what happened. Exactly. There's a lot of myths. Even my own patients come all the time and tell me that such and such happened to their friend, and the stories often are not accurate of the actual reality. In reality, 
we do great surgery with great results. In practicality, anybody can have issues with their vision for a number of reasons that may have something to do with the surgery or may be completely unrelated. Uh, and people tend to point fingers at surgery as, as the smoking gun, but believe it or not, it's quite the contrary. Surgery tends to be what fixes patients, not what harms them. And I always look at the sort of statistically speaking, even if a very small percentage of people, even if it's less than 1% of people, have even a minor issue, they may tell everybody they know. Right. But a person who has a successful surgery may not even think of telling them because they just expect it's going to go well. Yeah. So it's a, there's a bit of a bias there. So the yeah. answer is we have minor problems sometimes, but major issues are extremely rare and most patients do extremely well. Well, you know, if you're at a dinner party and you're saying, hey, I had eye surgery and it went great, that's that's not necessarily a stirring, you know, that's exactly. not a crowd pleaser, right? You yeah, know, there's, it's, there's always a bias towards the more scary stories, always. Yeah. I hear it all the time. So cataract surgery, what does that actually entail? And, and what are some of the inclusions uh, that, that patients have in, in the decision-making process to have the surgery or how it's going to work? Well, a lot of it comes down to patient symptoms. If a patient's having trouble, uh, we tend to offer surgery to help. If a patient's happy and content, even if they're not perfect, we tend not to offer surgery. So the short answer is the lens of your eye. We all have a lens in our eye like a camera lens. It's there from birth. As time goes on, that lens starts getting cloudy, and it oftentimes happens gradually. In some cases, it happens quickly. You know, and usually it's uh, past our 50s and our 60s and 70s. But it's variable like any health condition. And the good news is we have excellent surgery that is relatively straightforward, efficient, and painless. Um, I shouldn't say painless, but not painful is a better way of putting it. Okay. Uh, we remove that cloudy lens from the eye through very elegant surgery, replace it with a new artificial acrylic lens, which basically will last forever. So it's taking out a bad part and putting in a new permanent replacement good part that lasts essentially for your lifetime. Those lenses you put in, are they all created equally, or are there better ones or worse ones? Can I get one that like is like bionic or something? Well, <laughs> bionics may be a term I wouldn't use, but you can get one that does more interesting things than others. A basic lens will give you good vision, and then you wear glasses to make it better. You can get upgrade lenses that correct your distance vision extremely well and get reading glasses. And now we actually have lenses that allow you to get distance, intermediate, and near vision without glasses, restoring uh-huh. your vision somewhat to what it was when you, when, uh, you were younger, which is really exciting for us as doctors to offer this technology to patients. I bet. We have time for one more quick question, and that is, what would you say is the, the major lifestyle benefit of dealing with cataracts via surgery? The main uh, improvement is the quality of vision. People see better, brighter, and clearer. And the other side effect of doing the surgery is most patients need glasses much less than they used to, and some may need them not at all, depending on the type of lens they choose, which is also very exciting. So the key in cataract surgery is patients do better, and the side effect, which is quite a quite lovely and quite exciting is that many patients need glasses far less than they did before, and some actually may not need glasses at all uh, after the surgery, depending on their choice of lens. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, Happy to be here. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to achieve your goals like a successful person on The Tonic. Now that summer has given way to the 9 to 5 grind, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario have created delicious breakfast recipes for 7 Days of Eggs, showing Canadians how to shake up their workweek breakfasts. With 7 different sauces, it's easy to spice up a scramble or heighten the flavor of a ho-hum sandwich for different eggs every day of the week. To get you started, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario are giving away 5 prizes of $1,000 in groceries. 
Visit tabascosauce.ca for contest details and to find quick, delicious, and nutritious breakfast recipes, including some that are perfect for meal prepping for even the busiest of mornings. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Our next guest, Rod McDonald, has over 30 years in the field of self-development. Rod's the CEO of the Certified Coaches Federation, one of the largest coach education companies in the world, and a speaker, coach, and author. For more information on Rod, visit indestructiblehuman.com. That's a great name. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? I'm great. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this show is, you know, we talk about physical health and we talk about nutrition and all those great things, but there's a huge component to people's well-being that's tied up with their aspirations and how they feel about themselves and what's going on behind the scenes. And you're here today to discuss, you know, how some of us go off the rails trying to achieve their goals. We don't quite get there and that can be stressful and, and damaging. So, so in that context, what are the goals that you see people struggling with? Well, you know, it's interesting because the way that you put it, all that other stuff, all of the health and wellness nutrition, if you don't have that right mindset and you have a, you don't have a goal that you're aspiring to and you don't have things lined up to help get you there, then it's almost impossible to get there. And we see right. that every year, New Year's for the first, you know, two weeks, three weeks, month, yeah. people are doing whatever they can to catch up on 20 years of failed aspirations or missed aspirations and they're trying to cram it all in, and then they fail because it's it's too much to try to accomplish. Well, nobody, all the regulars dread going to the gym in January because that's when all the newbies are there messing with the machines and not getting everything right. Absolutely. And everybody's kind of looking at their watch and they're thinking, okay, in a couple of weeks, none of them are going to be here. And that's true. A yep. lot of people start with New Year's resolutions and they kind of fail. And that's a whole separate show. Yep. But uh, I understand what you're saying. So why do you think people struggle achieving their goals? What, what do you think it is? I think there's a lot of different factors. I think primarily getting their own head straight about, you know, is this the right goal? Is it the right size of goal? Is it too big a goal or too yeah. small a goal? Do they have the right support mechanisms? Because it's one thing for somebody to be thinking about a goal for days, weeks, months, but if they spring it on their family, so let's say somebody has a family, uh, whether they're just married or they have, they're married and kids or whatever the situation is, they have a support network at home, at work. If they don't potentially include those people in that discussion and get them on board, then there's sometimes it's an uphill battle to get to that goal. And it's much easier to, to fall back to wherever you were. Right. And you know me for a long time. We've worked together a long time. You know, for me, my weight is always an issue. My weight and health, it's always paramount to me, but I have one of those metabolisms that, that doesn't necessarily assist. So from time to time, I have to revisit my weight gain. And, you know, recently I had some holistic nutritionists on the show and we were discussing, you know, keto diet, this diet, that diet. And I brought it home to Naomi and she kind of rolled her eyes and said, you know, you're really not going to do that. You're not, you're not going to follow that regimen. And, and it started me thinking about like, 
it isn't just you alone trying to achieve those goals. You really do need that spouse who's going to be there to say, yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't have that piece of cake or yeah, it's okay. We're not going to have any carbs with dinner. I'm going to support you in this. That support is intrinsic, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's huge. It's not only intrinsic in the sense that it is embedded within the likelihood or, or lack of likelihood that you're going to reach the goal, but it can dramatically make a difference to you succeeding or not. And because we only have so much willpower. I mean, it's actually, it, we don't actually have a measure of it, but we actually know that when we work towards a goal, we have to apply willpower. And one of the biggest challenges we have is that we usually have more willpower in the morning and early afternoon. And then towards the end of the day, it's like a fuel tank. It actually drops down further and further and further, which is why many people will binge uh, either late, late in the night. evening or at night. Yep. Yeah, no, when, I, when I'm uh, the number one thing I do when I'm trying to drop the weight is I go cold turkey after dinner yep. because I know it's a slippery slope. If I find myself in the kitchen, all bets are off. I'm going to eat something. Yeah, and it's just me. Yeah. The other problem I have is I am a world-class procrastinator, like epic. Like I need, I need the alarm bells ringing before I spring into action. And, and that's not uncommon, is it? No, procrastination is probably the biggest common obstacle that people have because there's, there's always, there always seems to be something that either seems to be more important or more attractive. Yeah. And, and people will at, at a largely subconscious level make those choices to watch that you know, second episode of some show or the third episode or the fifth episode or whatever. So they'll, they'll, they'll binge watch something on the couch because there's a higher level of certainty of pleasure of their enjoyment of that compared to at the back of their mind at a subconscious level, the pain that they're probably going to suffer, whether that's real physical pain or mental pain or, you know, whatever, if they go and exercise or if they have to restrict themselves, because we actually love feeling good as right. human beings. So yeah. we go to that. Yeah, I always thought for me, it was always I always overestimated, I guess you call it the pain associated with the work that was necessary. So if it was a task that was large and I was just kind of putting it off, it was always because I assumed the work would be so difficult that I would hate it. For me, that was the stumbling block. Right. And um, my son, who's very similar in temperament, he likes rewarding himself in advance. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the other trick. I think that's what you're talking about. Sitting in front of the TV. I'll just I'll watch one more episode. I'll enjoy that. And then I'll be in a better mood and then I'll go do my work. But then you never get to it. Right. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that you actually have to acknowledge. And this is the one of the most important things in what I do as a coach and, and as a speaker is I acknowledge the natural human biology that from a neurological perspective, we have three, and this is an oversimplification, but we have three components of the brain, the reptilian brain, which all animals share, which is the fight, flight, or freeze response. And that is by far the most powerful thing. In North America, in a developed society, we generally don't have that activated unless it's an extreme situation, a car accident or something like that. So that's not usually as much of an issue, that part of it. But the second part is the limbic part of the brain, which is the emotional center. And that's actually also extremely powerful. And then you have the prefrontal cortex, which is the logic center. The thing is that the the logic center of the brain is powerful. We We can solve really complex problems. But the truth is that the emotional side is much more powerful. And so even though we have the logic that we should exercise or eat well, the emotions ruling us are much more powerful, which is why, and this rules all parts of our lives. So, you know, a person who's in the mall who doesn't really need a new pair of shoes or another pair of jeans, or another jacket or whatever, they see it and there's an emotion that, oh, I'm going to look good. I'm going to feel good. Right. It's new. You know, it's going to make me feel better, even though they don't need it. Or maybe they don't even have the money for it. Right. So when you apply it to exercise, people would rather 
have the emotion, the certainty of the moment, which is the food or the TV show or whatever it is, rather than the extended potential gain of the benefit of the exercise, which is going to take weeks and months to appear. Yeah, but you know, even you could even parse it out in terms of like, I know there are certain exercise classes I loathe because it's just, they're, they're really challenging. But I know that post-workout high makes me feel so much better. I just have to imagine myself having already done, you know, the heavy lifting, literal heavy yes. lifting yeah. to get to that point where I get that used to be a post-run endorphin, but but now it's the post-workout endorphin. Yeah. And that's what you have to focus in on, I think. Yeah. And I think the the point is that we can actually use, even though it's not as strong as the emotions, we can use the strategic center of the brain to put into place a plan and strategy so that we can increase the likelihood we will actually do the exercise and get that reward and keep at it. So one of the most powerful tools is to have a workout partner. Yeah. So if I said to you, hey, Jamie, let's do this together because I need to lose a little bit of weight. You need to lose a little bit of weight. We want to feel better. Yeah. So meet me tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. at the gym. You're much more likely to meet me at the gym tomorrow at 6 than going on your own because you know that somebody's waiting there, me, yeah. and you know I'm going to kick your butt if you don't show up. Right. And, and, you know, it's even more powerful if it's a family member. You know, I work out with my wife one day a week, and when before my daughter went to law school, we would work out on Saturday mornings together. And it's a lot harder to skip out on somebody that you're living with uh, if they're going to come work out with you. And the bonus, of course, is you're spending more family time with them. Yeah. Uh, so you're killing two, two birds, one stone. <laughs> uh, so it's, it is helpful, and, and it's a great motivator. Yeah, Do you have any other motivation tips for people to get through their goals? I think certainly you can share the goal with more people. So if you share it with people at work, if you share it with people at at home, and as we were just talking, getting them involved, if we do the, the sort of structural thing, so if at home, if you come to an agreement with your family to say, hey, let's do this for a certain amount of time, not an indefinite, but say, hey, for the next month, let's not buy any bread, let's not buy any cookies, let's not buy any pastries, or whatever it is that yeah. for, for a person's family is the is the issue, then it's not going to be in the house. What? Well, can you eat ice cream if it's not in the freezer? Of course not. Right? No. So, well, you could, but it, it requires two yeah, extra steps, right? right? Exactly. Well, it's like getting off your duff, getting into the car, going for a walk, and go getting the ice cream, yeah. right? Right. And to a certain extent, that's just like, well, that's about as much work as it would take for me to go exercise. So right. at that point, you're either going to stay on the sofa, but without the ice cream, right. or you're going to go get it, or you're going to go exercise. And so when you compare the two of getting off your backside and getting in the car and driving, you're actually, you might even be more likely to go to the gym at that point because you're already out of the house. That's good advice. There are successful people out there who they just are successful. We know because they're popular and they've achieved amazing things. What can we learn from them in terms of our perhaps smaller success struggles? Well, you know, what I found over the years, because I've had the blessing, the opportunity to meet a lot of successful people, speakers, authors, and so on. And what I found in all of those conversations, because I've, and, and the neat thing is I've had a great opportunity to have close conversations with them, even if they're only a few minutes before going onto a stage or whatever the case may be. And the truth is they're just like us and we're just like them. They're human beings. They have their struggles, their doubts, their fears, and they have found something to help them be more successful. So what can we learn from that? It's to look at them not so much like they're on a high pedestal, but just as a role model to say, okay, well, what did they do? And sometimes it's just, it's reading the book that they've written or whatever the case may be. What have they done and can I model that? Can they be a role model for me? And if I repeat those steps, if they're appropriate for me and my health and fitness level and so on, 
well, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to attain some, if not all of that same success. So using them as role models. That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Jamie. Next month, we're going to have you back to discuss why somebody might or should get a life coach, right? Absolutely. Everybody should. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by Megan Horsley and Rod McDonald, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss food trends of the Mediterranean, healthy sex isn't just about orgasms, and how to set up a home gym on a shoestring. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.